Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name's Steve Bowes. I'm with Trish McFarland. Trish, what is happening? How are you? I'm good, Steve. How are you today? I'm great. It's good to be back with you for, for scheduling and other reasons. We haven't actually recorded together in a few weeks, so good to right. get back on the happy hour, Trish. You know, I just have one thing I wanted to mention at the top. Uh, as, as people who might watch the Work Break video shows might have heard, um, I was reading this super hard math book that it's taken me about five years to finish, and I did finish it last week. And I, always, I realized why it was so hard for me, because I always hated math, I think. So here's the question of the day, Trish. Okay. What would be the school subject, you know, high school, college, you, you choose, what would be the one you disliked the most but had to take? Oh, that's so easy. It's chemistry. Ooh, I was not one. a chemistry fan. I, I don't know about anyone else, but I sort of feel like there are those topics where like some just come so naturally. And when I meet other people, like anyone who didn't seem to do very well or didn't like chemistry loved physics. So I'm that girl. Um, same with like trigonometry and, and uh, geometry, loved that, but hated algebra. So I don't mm. know. How about you? What are your... I, I, I guess it was math. It took me five years to read this math book. I, I, I didn't really take to math, although I, I think reading this All book helped me appreciate it more. But no, I, I didn't dig it too much. I was more of a humanities kind of, kind of person. I also lo I loved certain kinds of math. I just didn't do very well in like uh, calculus and pre-algebra and algebra. So <laughs> yeah. anything, you know what, anything where it's about uh, shapes and things like that, great at anything around probability and statistics, I loved. But when it comes to some of the other, I was not so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. We'll ask our guest that as well. We're going to welcome him. This is a cool show, Trish, a little bit different than some of the shows we've been doing lately, It's it's which I like, quite honestly, with you. it's not another, hey, let's talk about COVID-19 in the workplace, like for the time. This show is all about uh, difficult conversations and navigating them and getting better at having them. And there's a lot of context in our lives and our personal lives and our professional lives uh, where we have to have these difficult conversations. So we have a great guest to help us talk about that today. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Orsini. He is a practicing neonatologist, I hope I said that right, who took what he learned from over 25 years of experience delivering tragic news to patients and their families and founded the Orsini Way, a communications training company that helps business leaders and healthcare professionals build strong relationships and navigate through their most difficult conversations. He has a recently published book titled, It's All in the Delivery, Improving Healthcare, Starting with a Single Conversation, and his new podcast, Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician, has been ranked in the Apple Top 100, and he's a frequent speaker at medical and business conferences on the topic of compassion and communication. Welcome, Dr. Orsini, to the Happy Hour Show. How are you? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real honor and a pleasure to meet both of you. Uh, great to meet you as well. So I'll well. start. Dr. Tony, Anthony, where, how do we want to go on this? Are we, were we friendly enough yet? What, where, how are we going to work I think, I think you can call me Tony. Uh, only my mother calls me Anthony. Everyone else calls me Tony. All so. right, Tony. <laughs> great. <laughs> great. Although I got to tell you, if I were a doctor, I would make everybody call me doctor at all times. I would just, I would. <laughs> but uh, Tony, let's start with the simple subject. Uh, what, what was your high school or college subject you, you disliked? In well, in college, it, it was definitely calculus. Calculus was something I, I just did not get. Uh, you know, when you're in pre-med, you get one bad grade, you're done. And uh, I remember in Calculus 3 thinking that I was really going to get a very bad grade going into the finals. And in those days, you know, you didn't get, you, you didn't get your report or your grade on the, in the internet. You had to go up the steps and, and read off a piece of paper oh, on, the, yes. on, on the back of the <laughs> office door. And I remember saying a prayer for 23 steps to 
23 steps up to the calculus professor's office and I said 23 prayers and I just pulled out a decent grade and I just, you know, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. There's that one class and I think it's often calculus, right? That gets in the way of so many people and either you get over that hurdle or you don't, or, or, or in, in chemistry, Trish, you mentioned organic chemistry, right? You hit that first organic chemistry class and you either pivot to some other direction or you somehow survive it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And of course, I use calculus every day. I'm being sarcastic because it's not something anybody really uses. But I guess I had to take it. So um, thank God I came through it. Yeah. And that funny thing about that math book I mentioned at the top, like the whole premise of that book is it tries to help you understand actually where you do use this stuff. Like it, 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 may, it spends 400 pages making the case, but we won't go into that today. <laughs> All right. We're here to talk about difficult conversations. Tony, maybe we, we read the bio, but maybe you could just share just a little bit more about your background and kind of the, the types of difficult conversations that you had to have in your professional capacity and sort of what maybe what made you think differently about having them and how to help people get better at them. Sure. Um, you know, for, first, the advice that I give about communication training to business leaders, HR professionals, and healthcare professionals really stems from two decades of having those difficult conversations with patients and families. As a neonatologist, and you did say it correctly, a, a pediatrician who, who uh, takes care of the most sick newborn babies, uh, I constantly find myself in situations that I have to have these difficult conversations. I'm dealing with people who are thrown into an environment that they don't understand, it's hard for them to navigate, the emotions are high, so it's really very important that I have the skills to learn to build rapport, establish trust, their trust, and form relationships very quickly. Um, and I have to do that quickly, and I have to do that deeply. Because if I'm unable to bond to these families, how can I expect them to trust me? And without trust between a doctor and a patient, uh, there's really nothing left. Um, and so that's the same case, as you know, for business leaders and HR professionals. Those who are able to communicate well those are, who are able to build trust form relationships have, you know, their team members are happier, they have more productive teams, and they're able to navigate through those difficult conversations that HR professionals are often having now. You know, I think Stephen Covey in his book, The Speed of Trust, uh, said it really well that once trust is established, uh, businesses can move more quickly and efficiently and become more productive. And so I thought I really have... Um, the experience that I've had having the most difficult conversations, I mean, if you can have a conversation with a mother about their baby who's about to die wow. um, or will have lifelong problems and you can do that with compassion and navigate through that, then everything else is relatively easy. You know, in fact, during the COVID crisis, uh, I've been asked more and more from HR companies and professionals to help them navigate through those difficult conversations. I had a company just a few months ago who had many, many COVID deaths and they are finding themselves, the HR executives are finding themselves in situations where they have to have that conversation with the employees. You know, Judy, who sat in the cubicle next to you for the last 10 years, you know, just passed away from COVID. And, and so I've been helping them navigate through that and you know, through my, that's why I started my podcast, because my podcast, every other week, we, we discuss what one week is a guest from healthcare, another week is a guest from business. Mm -hmm. And you just see the similarities and the parallels between it's the same communication skills that uh, you need in business, and you need in your private life that I use every day. And so that's, that's why I started 
expanding my training towards more business uh, because I, again, the similarities are very, very, sim- are very, are very much the same. You know, thank you, Dr. Tony. I think the one thing you're, you're talking and I'm sitting here like trying not to cry because having been an HR practitioner for really almost 20 years and having many, many difficult conversations, I'm sort of like having flashbacks of some of the, some of the most difficult um, part of that time was spent being in human resources at St. Louis Children's Hospital. So I totally relate to what you're saying about those, those skills of having compassionate and, and very loving conversations with people who are going through really horrible things. There's definitely a parallel. Um, and then I think also I had premature twins who are very healthy, uh, 16 and a half year olds right now, but I, I'm also thinking back to like being that parent, uh, I'd never had children before and having uh, a neonatologist much like yourself who was wonderful at communicating. And the thing that strikes me about all of these kind of things swirling together in my mind is that as you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking being a receiver, sometimes if you don't know how to have that conversation yourself or have difficult conversations, sometimes being the recipient of someone who's very good at having those is a really wonderful method of both teaching and then reinforcement. Um, Have you found that? I mean, obviously you're a good communicator, um, whether it's maybe in in the workplace, uh, in the hospital setting, or just in your interactions with, with business leaders. Do you find that people who may feel like we struggle with communicating compassionately, um, do you find they get better by having sort of being, being on the receiving end of that? Is there any parallel there? there? There is some parallel. And in fact, during my training, when I, when I train business professionals and healthcare professionals, we have um, people who have heard, have, heard, have heard their fair share of tragic news and they are able to really reinforce what I teach. And so, yes, um, but you don't have to have had a tragic experience. You know, my story that I, the opening story in my book is about when I was learning to, to train as a, as a physician, I was very fortunate. I had never heard tragic news. And, and I think that made me want to want to learn it even more, but giving tragic news um, or having a, just a good discussion. I mean, com- the communication skills is just about building rapport and building trust. Mm-hmm. Not all of my patients are, are dying or are very, very sick. And so, but communication training is something that, is, is not really put up in the, in the forefront of training in either business or in healthcare. You'd be, you know, physicians don't get trained in it. Business professionals don't. And um, as multiple studies have shown in business, if you want to be an effective leader, you need to build rapport and you need to have and build that trust. And sometimes the smartest people in the room just can't be good leaders in business. And that's what I teach when I speak to business is that, you know, how do you get people to trust, build loyalty? And it can be taught, you know, as I said in one of my podcasts, they, the guest was very surprised to hear this, but the reality is that I've always been shy by nature. And, you know, someone who's shy, how, how do I do this? And now I have a podcast <laughs> and I have a book. It's, it's learned. And, um, and it's amazing how quickly you can learn it. And once you understand it, the first thing that's important is to make, everyone understand how important it is because you got to want to learn, right? If you don't want to learn, then you're not going to. So I think we're getting there. Uh, And I've had some great guests on my podcast 
Claude Silver from VaynerMedia was just on last week. Uh, she's amazing, um, and she really gives great insight on on how to build uh, empathy and and a, an inclusive culture. Dr. Helen Reese is coming up next week, and Dr. Helen Reese is the world expert on empathetics, and she trains uh, she trains businesses and healthcare professionals all over the place. And one of the other things. Um, there's a long-winded answer, but one of the other things, Dr. Larry Barton, who's the expert on workplace violence in the whole world, discussed just when you're separating an employee from your business, how that can predict whether that employee leaves with an open heart or comes back and literally shoots the place open yeah, with a gun. That's for real, yeah. and that, that happens. That yeah, happens. He makes a living doing this, uh, helping people yeah. stop this. So that's why it's so important. I think you're right. I think that it's it's so, you, you mentioned building the rapport and the trust. I, I'd add in their respect too, because again, in those those really difficult conversations, I've had some where police have had to be called and whatnot, and um, it, it you still, you treat every single person with respect. It doesn't matter what they've done to get separated from the company, but um, you know, it's interesting too. I think in, in the course of an HR career, it's like I've received thank you notes from people who've been let go just because my role with them was very compassionate and loving and, um, and giving. I wonder, um, and then I know Steve, I'm sure you've got a ton of questions too, just a little bit of a follow-up to, to mine. Um, you were talking about, you know, having communication training and that's so important. And, and you're right. A lot of business leaders and medical professionals don't really have that, but one thing I've also thought that might need to go hand in hand with that is sort of stress training. And, and I just would love to hear your perspective. So for example, I found a lot of times in healthcare, um, some of the people wanted to communicate more effectively. They wanted to be able to have those conversations, but they almost didn't do it because they felt too stressed. So if I'm having to have, it's like they internalize it. And so I don't think we're training whether it's healthcare professionals or leaders, you know, if you're in HR, it's a very draining job. If I'm sitting there having really hard conversations every single day, every single day, but yet I don't know how to manage that stress I'm internalizing. I don't know. Do you, do you have any, um, just any insight on that of, of what kind of, I guess, self-care you need to have if you're going to be someone that's comfortable having these kinds of conversations? Absolutely. And what you're saying is very real. Uh, and as you'll, when, if you listen to the podcast with Dr. Helen Reese, she talks about how your, your, your empathy goes up and down to the course of a day with your stress and that you have to have self-empathy first and take care of yourself if you're going to first. The analogy she uses is when you're in an airplane, you put your own oxygen mask on first and then you help the other person. And I think that's a great analogy. And again, there's so many parallels in medicine we get stressed out because we're seeing 20, 25 patients a day. It gets really, really busy. I have to first convince the physicians that if you communicate, as I call it, the Orsini way, using these communication techniques that help you build a rapport and imagine what it's like to be the other person, that you can kind of keep up that empathy, the compassion. And in business, if you, you have so many things to do, if you just take a moment to relax, take a moment to then imagine, okay, this is my next task. The uh, acronym that I use for teaching is called PROGRAM, P-R-O-G-R-A-M, and the piece for plan, and you'd be surprised how many people don't take the time to set that plan up when they're having that conversation where they're terminating somebody from the company. They're, they have to remember, how am I going to do this? 
where am I going to sit? Um, and then close, close your eyes and imagine that you're that person. And that will bring your empathy scale up quickly. And, you know, it's hard on physicians who are dealing with death and dying all the time. Um, but what I say to them, and I think it makes sense to everybody, my father was a police officer. He was in SWAT. And someone, I remember as a little kid, people used to ask him, how do you run into a building when people are shooting at you? And I can tell you, my father didn't understand the question. He looked at them with a very perplexed face and said, that's the job. And so <laughs> I say that to physicians and I say that to business leaders when they say, yeah, I'm getting really, really stressed out. And of course, take care of yourself, you know, take a minute, mo moment, learn some meditation. But in the end, being nice and being compassionate and empathetic and being a good leader, that's the job. Yeah. Tony, I'm, I have a follow-up and I'm going to want to quickly just tell the story, uh, that difficult conversation that I had to have in an HR context, which I was completely unprepared for. And I know totally screwed it up. And I'm going to ask you like, how could I have maybe done better? So here's the scenario. I got hired as a manager in a new company. I'd been, with, I'd been there, you know, for four or five days, maybe even less than a week. And I had a team of people reporting to me who I'd, I'd met one of them. The other folks were in different offices around the country. So I'd never met them physically. And one of those people that was now my, one of my direct reports had screwed something up, you know, prior to me getting into the, um, into the role and apparently had been warned about it and then did something again, again, not, not, not a personal thing or just some work performance thing. She messed something up. I don't remember what it was. And so they basically told me, my new manager said, oh yeah, you've got to meet this new employee who reports to you. We're going to have a conference call with her and you have to put her on like a, a 30 day warning plan. Otherwise she's going to be terminated. Go, mm -hmm. go tell her. And I had never met her or spoken to her and didn't really know anything about the scenario, which is, which was a, kind of a bad thing. My HR people did to me. And I, I don't know how I just fumbled my way through it. Like what would be advice for someone maybe that specific scenario or more in general, what are a couple of the things we can do if you're feeling not prepared to, have to tell someone some bad news, have that difficult conversation or, or just do something that's really, really unpleasant. What are a couple of things you, you can advise people to make that come off a little bit better? Yeah, I think the, the worst thing you can do is, is, is somehow make that relationship adversarial, right? So what you first have to do is um, form that relationship with them. And, in the, and that may mean, you know, in my business or in your business, that may mean starting the conversation off casually and just getting to know the person relaxing the tension before you speak to them. And then the second thing is words matter, they're ten, they're, but they're only 10% of, of total language. The other 90% is, is nonverbal language. And so uh, you want to show and your words and your nonverbal language want to show that you're on their side and you're, you know, so how you phrase that, and both, a lot of HR professionals know this, how can I put you in a situation that I, I want you to succeed. And this is clearly, you're having difficulty do this. Is there something going on in your life that maybe is preventing you? By asking that question, okay. you've now become a friend instantly. You know, people tell me, well, it takes a long time to build a relationship. No, studies have shown that a doctor can build a relationship with a patient in 56 seconds. That's, that's a quote. And so you can do the same thing when you have your employee come in. Being a genuine person, that's a GN program showing that you care, how could I put you in a situation that is gonna help you succeed because I really want you to succeed. Uh, and the, I'm a big sports fan, I use a lot of sports analogies. It's, if, if I take Peyton Manning, one of the greatest quarterbacks that ever lived, and I put him on the offensive line to try to block a 350 pound lineman, he's not going to be a very good football player. And so what, what can I do to make you succeed? 
There was a great quote from Jack Walsh, the G CEO of GE. What somebody once said about him, after he fired me, I, I thought I got a promotion. <laughs> and, and that he was able to say, I want to help you, and maybe this is not the best spot for you. And so having a plan, being a genuine person, building that relationship, and then in the end, if it doesn't work out, there's no hard feelings. Uh, you know, Trish mentioned that, you know, you, you, you still stay in touch with people who you separate it. Mm -hmm. I'm going on 14 years now that I'm getting Christmas cards from family members, from parents who their baby died. Wow. You know, I was caring for them, their baby died, and yet they send me a Christmas card every year thanking me. So it, just because things don't work out, in business or in healthcare, it doesn't mean that you can't have that relationship. And when you leave your goal, when that employee leaves at the end of the separation, the goal would be, you know, Steve's a nice guy. He really tried. It didn't work out. Now, is that going to happen 100% of the time? I'm not that naive, but you can really, really reduce the number of times somebody leaves there angry. Yeah. I don't know if that helps or not. That, that's great, Tony. That's a super answer, super advice. And um, yeah, really, really powerful too. Uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, here. We do, Trish, need to thank our sponsors, of course, who make this show possible. Um, I will okay. thank our first sponsor, if that's okay with you. Uh, this episode of the HR Happy Hour Show is made possible by WorkHuman, now introducing Mood Tracker, a tool we use at H3HR Advisors, a free modern voice of the employee tool built by data scientists, making it fast, easy, and actionable to get to the heart of organizational issues. Learn more at workhuman.com slash mood tracker. Yes, and I also want to thank our friends over at Paychex. Obviously, we have been long-term partners with them. They are one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and business solutions for businesses of all sizes. And this has been a, a challenging year for everyone, um, but they have continued to play a really strategic role in organizations while helping with their efficiencies and building culture and developing their teams through such trying times with the tools that they have available. Um, the interesting thing I really want to make sure that we're sharing right now, though, is around their fourth annual uh, 2020 Paychecks Pulse of HR survey. Um, I know as a, a former HR practitioner, it was always um, a challenge to find really good, relevant information um, about what's going on in the field so that I could actually put it into practice in my work. And this is a really phenomenal survey. So I, I looked at it with that lens, and I want to make sure that everyone is aware of that. You can go to paychecks.com slash pulse 2020 and download your free copy of the survey and uh, just learn how your peers are transforming HR and their organizations and maybe come up with a few ideas of your own that you can try. Great, great, great stuff. Thank you to WorkHuman and to Paychecks. Tony, you talked about how you can get better at these types of skills and get, you can get better as a leader or a, a, in, in the healthcare scenario. And I wonder in the absence of more formalized training, let's say I'm in the, I mean, I was that guy having to put this person on that performance plan and maybe I was completely unprepared to do it. And I was probably going to have to do more of those kinds of conversations as a new manager or a new leader in that organization. Like what are some of the things I can do to actually like develop the skill, like, and, and actually get better at it while I'm having to do it? Great question. Well, first, you, you, the first thing that you have to do is realize that it's an important skill and that you have to learn it. Okay. And it can be learned. Uh, but you know, there's a, you, you can read a lot about communication. You, you need to understand body language and nonverbal language extremely well. I talk a lot about that in my book. Uh, but there's a lot of books out there that discuss that. Uh, and you need to really just understand the concept of how we build rapport, which is always the first step. 
and, and building rapport is not about asking questions like, where are you from? Building rapport is just making that connection. And so you need to learn how to do that first. And then you need to, you need to understand what a leader truly is and a leader who brings people up and not somebody who tells them what to do. And there's a lot of people out there that teach that. And in my, when I do uh, seminars for businesses, that's one of the things that we, we talk about. But you really have to understand nonverbal language you have to understand that every single word that you say means something. You, and something that people don't really think about is you know, 70% is your body language, then 20% of language is tone, inflection, and cadence of voice, of voice. And I can say something to you three different ways with different tones, and it will make all the difference in the world. And, and if you're married or, or if you ever had an occasion where you said something and somebody just snapped at you and you, don't, you didn't mean anything by it, Mostly it was from their tone. So whether you have a high inflection at the end of your voice or a low inflection at the end of your voice exudes compassion. And so we have to be really careful about that. When you're having difficult conversations, remember cadence is also very important. If you're rushing through this conversation with me to tell me that I'm not performing well, mm -hmm. then I, the, the verb, nonverbal message you're sending to me is that you're not comfortable having this, this conversation. And, and I, I clearly was not, I just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you want to get in, you want to get out. And so it takes practice. It takes training. You know, can I just interrupt for one second? I'm thinking mm -hmm. about that story again, because I just remembered it. Stick, you know, there's, Trish, there's 10 things in your career that stick out probably, right? In your co course of your whole career that you just will never forget. And I will never forget that conversation. And I specifically remember my HR leader there who was in the room with me, told me very specifically to cut to the chase, make it quick specifically mm -hmm. told me to do that. And it sounds like that was not great advice, perhaps. And can I add why though? Because, and, and Tony, this is what I was thinking about when you were just speaking too. It's to me, I think leaders make the mistake or, or anyone giving these sort of communications um, of thinking it's like a one and done. To me, it was always, if I was advising someone to get right to it, it was maybe have a series of conversations around that then. Because the second you tell someone they're either on a performance plan or they're fired, one or the other, they're, they're done. They're done processing at that moment. They need 100%. time. They need time to think about it. So what I, I would typically do is say, look, you know, we're having this situation. I want you to, uh, to know that we need to speak about this. this we're going to talk about this. I'm here for you. Even if they were being let go, I would say the second they knew that they, I was in there, they knew what was happening. And I would tell them, I'd say, you know what? Um, let's continue this, this conversation. Go take a few minutes, take a few hours, take a few days, whatever time you need, and then let's regroup. And then let's have that plan and, and attack this together. That way they feel like you're invested. So even if I didn't know that person, Steve, in your example, mm -hmm. I would have been comfortable saying, you know, I'm, I'm new here. I'm getting to know you. I'd like you to be successful. To Tony's point, you want them to, to feel like you're on their side. But say, obviously we're having some issues. I'd love for you to maybe take some time and think it over. Let's regroup. You can tell me kind of where, where your perceptions are. I'll tell you where the company's perceptions are and let's go from there. So I, th I think that the mistake is they want getting in and out means in that conversation. Yeah. Could, they, and they that could off. be too. This is, this is the thing happened over 10 years ago, this thing I'm talking well, they, about, but, but yeah. see, here's the other thing that I find interesting, Steve, is like, you're still thinking about this. Yeah. So you know awful. in I your head awful. or your heart, that that didn't go the way you wish it would have, right? Yeah. I'm someone, I just believe like, I, you may not even know her name anymore, but like, I would be like tracking that person down to be like, you know what, are you, 
how are you? Like, how did this turn out? Because I think, you know, to, to Tony's point about like hearing from patients 14 years later, yes, you can go through a really bad situation with someone. Losing your job is very traumatic. It feels very personal. To the company, it's not personal at all. It's work. Yeah. And so trying to understand and then even reaching out a month later to check on them, just check on them. It's okay. I think we feel like in business, we have to be so stone-faced and just like, this is business, you're out. Well, no, this is their livelihood and they're scared and nervous and all the things. I will tell you too, um, I, I experienced a layoff uh, after about 10 years with a company and I knew it was coming. It didn't make it any easier to go. You still go through all the emotions, but I'll tell you what, Every single time I ever had to lay someone off or terminate them from that point forward, I knew how it felt. And I could tell them like, hey, I know that right now you're not, you're not in a place to really hear me and like talk this out. So yeah, let's talk tomorrow. Let's see mm -hmm. how you're feeling tomorrow. I'll check in on you in a week. One guy, it took me eight, eight conversations before he actually felt terminated. Wow. But yeah. by the end, he felt good about it. I felt good about it. And he felt like he had a plan forward. Instead of leaving the company, hating the company, hating his boss, coming back and shooting everyone up, whatever. It wasn't, it was that respect. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Tony, I'd like to just maybe follow up on that with a question to you. And you can maybe think about it from the healthcare perspective or the business perspective. And like we've heard, I feel like I've heard a lot in HR, certainly. And I've even heard it just in, or read about it, and even in the medical professions is like, you don't want to get too close to the situation as the, as the leader or as the practitioner or as the provider. Like, and it sounds like a lot of the things you advise on and you, you advocate for and you've done in your professional career, like you're obviously got a little bit closer to that family who's still sending you greeting cards 14 years later. Is that, is that not great advice? Like to, to, to make just strictly business, don't get, don't get too close to the patients or don't, don't make friends with the employees if you're a leader. It's horrible advice, actually. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, what happened to you, back to your story is, we hear this all the time, though, giving bad news uh, is like a band-aid just rip it off and get out okay yeah. well, that 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 doesn't go over very well um the other thing i want to mention just to step back is that once you give the bad news we're, we're letting you go um your baby um you know is very very ill once you give that bad news it's been very well documented that the people only hear about 10 percent after that of what you say okay so the number one rule of giving bad news is to do it gradually build up to it now that doesn't mean drawing it out over a long period of time but one of the things I tell doctors is that when you give bad news, the patient should all, almost already know what's coming the next sentence. So you want to use a little bit of a review and build up with that. In the HR world, of course, they're in your office. It's not good usually, um, but they suspect it. But if you, can, if you can lay out your case before you end up giving them the bad news that we're letting you go, it will make a, a big difference. And um, a lot of people will say, we're letting you go and this is why. I talked to some of my attorney friends and they, in, in the closing argument of a, of a case, you don't say that the person's guilty and let me tell you why. You say, this is the evidence and this is why the person sh should be guilty. And you need to remember that when you give, when you, when you have those conversations. Uh, so I think that's the most important take home message here is that you want to lead up to that and, and build it up and you're not going to draw it out, but whatever you need to say, um, and by the way, tell, this is another misconception. Telling someone I have bad news is not preparing them for bad news. It is the bad news. <laughs> I so, love that. Yeah. 
if, if you're going into your doctor's office and saying, what's my biopsy results? And the doctor said, and by the way, physicians have been taught this for years, for decades, centuries. You know, if you're going in for your biopsy results, and the doctor says, I have bad news, you're done. You're not hearing anything. Yeah. If, but, yeah, if going, that's what you just said, Trish, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you go to the, the HR layoff. and say, hey, I have, a, I have something bad to tell you, they're not going to listen. But um, we know back to the question about empathy and feeling. Physicians have been told for 100 years that they should be detached. And now we find out that it's not appreciated by the patient. It seems cold. It stops closure because if I'm detached and it didn't seem like I cared, well, maybe I didn't really do everything I could for your loved one. Maybe I took it very lightly. If you're detached when you're letting someone go and just say, we're letting you go, then maybe you didn't really think about it and you didn't take this seriously. So, and then most of all, the reason why we were told to be detached is that you don't want to be emotionally drained by the end of the day. Studies are now showing that physicians who stay compassionate, that stay empathetic throughout the day and allow themselves to feel, go home with better job satisfaction. And actually, right now, physician burnout is up to 60%. And physicians have the highest rate of suicide rate in any profession right now. Wow. And the reason for that, I believe, is this, this they call it detached empathy. And you go home and you're, you're trained that you want to be a good person. You have a good mother and father who told you how to be good. You want to be compassionate and you were taught not to feel. And then you go home and you know it wasn't the right thing. And it's in the back of your head and you go, I didn't do a very good job. I was really mean to that employee. I could have done a better job with that. That's what leads to professional burnout, not, yeah. feeling, not feeling empathy or compassion. Yeah, that's, that totally makes sense. And it, it, it feels counterintuitive at the beginning, but as you reason through it and explain it, yeah, like if you're firing people without feeling about it or telling people this, the worst news possible about their patient or their loved one in, in a hospital setting and try to act like it doesn't have any meaning or you're not empathetic towards it and just walk away from it, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to feel awful. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Trish, go ahead. No, Steve, I was just going to say, even in your example, I think that's, and whether it's a patient or, or an employee that you're, you're talking with, I think that even if you feel like it didn't go well and you're now at home and you're thinking about it, you can still go back and have another conversation. You can still make that right, even if it's years later, even if Absolutely. it's months later. Um, I think too, Tony, one of the things you were talking about, I saw this a lot in, um, in HR, in healthcare, especially at a children's hospital, um, it, you know, a lot of times behaviors that um, that people may think they're being ignored or, or that someone's treating them cold, like a colleague, for example, they might've just lost a patient. They might've just had a really horrible conversation with a family where you know, you're, you're disseminating some information that's really traumatic. And so I think too, it's be compassionate with your colleagues because you don't know what meeting they just walked out of. They might've just lost a patient. They might've just if it's a business, maybe they've just lost a really big account. Maybe they've just had someone quit. You just don't know. And I think we're really quick to judge each other. Um, the last thing I'll say too is think about that this, this empathy needs to go throughout all jobs in the organization. So one of the things I was most surprised to learn, I think, in a, especially in a children's hospital, is that some of our employees that were most impacted by um, bad situations happening right? Children that are very ill, children that are, that are not making it, um, were our housekeepers, were our floor finishers, were our food and nutrition workers, right? The people that take the trays to the rooms every day, the people that, that clean the rooms. On the, we found that on the cancer floor, for example, we had to rotate housekeepers off there very regularly because they would get so attached. And if a patient passed, 
they were devastated, but yet no one was really, I think that gets back to that stressor question I asked earlier, like, no, we weren't really thinking about, oh, do we need to give people training on how to handle things when it wasn't their patient, but yet it, this was a child in their life that they were caring for that is no longer yeah. there. So, or, or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. So it's just think about your, your colleagues, what they might be going through. It's, it's hard to do sometimes, right? Cause we're so worried about ourselves, but I think that's important. Dr. Tony, I mean, do you, have you seen that in your career as well? I'm imagining. Yeah, we did a whole thing. The Orsini way did a whole campaign uh, during COVID. There was this whole big thing, healthcare heroes, right? And they were showing doctors and nurses, et cetera. Well, what we did is we took pictures of the housekeeping. We took pictures of the cafeteria woman. Uh, those people are essential workers too. You know, doctors have to Absolutely. eat, nurses have to eat. And, and um, they're putting themselves at risk by coming to the hospital every single day. And you're right, they, they are impacted. And when I go into a hospital to train, I, uh, to train people how to communicate, healthcare professionals, we do, patient satisfaction is a big topic right now. So we have something that's called all in the delivery where we go in and we train how to, uh, the uh, entire hospital, how to communicate with each other and with the patients. I make sure that if I'm gonna go into say a unit that we're training communication and we're including the housekeepers, we're including the receptionists, we're including yes. the secretaries, it's not just the doctors, et cetera. Studies have shown that people are more likely to complain to the housekeeper at the hospital than they are to the, to the charge list because they're real people. And they were, so how to handle that? It, it's so important. And the other thing is if you parallel it back to business, if, if you separate an employee, that employee had friends, right? And so, mm -hmm. and especially during COVID, who's going to be next? What kind of stresses are involved in that? Am I going to be next? You know, I hear stories of people being let go you know, where the, the leaders are standing at the time clock. This has happened in hospitals where they, yeah. where the nurses are timing in and the leaders are standing there. And, and as they're waiting online, they're taking the third or fourth person. And they're saying, Trish, come out of line. I have to speak to you. No. And that's how they're being let go. Uh, you know, that don't you think that the next day when Jenny goes into to clock in that she's going to be a little nervous because there's, there's her leader waiting for her. Yeah. I mean, the stress involved in that, it's just not necessary. Yeah, yeah awesome. I agree. Dr. Tony, this was a fantastic conversation. I knew going into Thank the you. show, this was going to be a really fun show and, and, and kind of one, I already can tell it's one of my favorites that we've done in the last while because it's just really powerful, interesting and topical and important to everybody, right? Healthcare, business leadership, HR leadership, all of us really, even in our sort of personal lives, uh, mm -hmm. we can take from this. So we want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. We mentioned the Orsini Way is the website. Um, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well as the book. It's all in the all in the delivery, improving healthcare, starting with a single conversation. And Tony's podcast, Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. We'll link all to that out. And again, Tony, thank you uh, so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. And if there's any of your audience out there that want to really explore some more communication training, uh, they can always contact me through the website, theorsiniway.com. I'll be happy to show them what kind of training we do. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tony. And Trish, we must thank Work Human and Paychex one last time That's for right. all of their support. They uh, keep this show going and thanks to them. So, all right. For our guest, Dr. Tony Orsini, for Trish McFarland, my name's Steve Bowes. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time. Bye for now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh.